Hello and welcome to The Advice Show. From advising clients to practice management, this podcast will bring you UK and global insights into the financial planning profession. My name is James Fitzgerald, your host and reporter at New Model Advisor. And today I'm joined by PIMFA's Director of Government Relations and Policy, Tim Fassum. Tim, welcome back and thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Pleased to be here. So only a few short weeks ago now, the FCA published a paper with more information on consumer investments, which included, surprisingly, a goal of stabilising the life distribution and investment provision funding classes of the FSCS levy by 2025, and then, more ambitiously, a target of reducing said levy by 10% year-on-year between 2025 and 2030. However, a few days later, NMA revealed that the FCA had actually published this in error, and it now rode back on that target and will instead consult further later this year on any FSCS levy reductions. So, Tim, just to kick things off, you know, what are your thoughts on this initial 10% target between 2025 and 2030, and uh, your thoughts on the uh, the later rollback? Yeah, so I think, <laughs> on the one hand, uh, it's fantastic that they have recognised that one of the goals of FCA policy should be to minimise the uh, the harm that the FSCS represents, harm to consumers, harm to the industry, harm to the people who have to pay it, um, and to explicitly target that in recognition that they do actually, in fact, they are arguably the only people who have any control over um, what that levy is. Mm. Now, stabilising by 2025 and then reducing by, by 10%, I mean, we have seen many, many single years of a more than 10% increase in the FSCS. Mm. So this feels um, not terribly ambitious. And I think if I went out to our members and your listeners and said, you know, this bill is going to keep going up for another five years and then over the next five years after, it's going to then reduce by 10%, they would feel that, you know, that is the, the bare minimum uh, of getting this cost back under control. Mm. Um, I mean, we saw this year, earlier this year, when they predicted the um, increase, uh, they were expecting an increase of, of over to over a billion in total costs, which they have now rode back to closer to 850 million. But at that point, that was a, a th- over 30% increase year on year. So this feels like they could push themselves an awful lot harder um but also i think what it highlights is that if that is realistically what they believe is possible then they need to find other funding sources because it continuing to increase out of control for another five years which i think is you know realistically what they're saying um is not appropriate to have for that cost to be put onto the those in the industry that are behaving well. In terms of the rowback, um, I mean, no one likes to do that. It's embarrassing. You've put something out there, you've got to go back. And if I thought it was to be more ambitious, then, uh, you know, fantastic. Mm. Um, but I think they need to make clear that even if they are not going to recognise that exact target, 
that they do see it as a specific goal of their regulatory and supervisory and particularly supervisory activity to get the cost down. And that's something PIMFA has argued for um, since last year, where the top recommendation really in our FSCS paper was that there needed to be a specific analysis of regulation and supervision on how it drives cost into the FSCS and changes made to reduce that. So if they can, I think we would consider it enough if they are willing to to do that and a not terribly ambitious 10% target is neither here nor there. It's about mm. understanding that they impact this and, uh, are, and want to do the right things to get that number down. When you talk about additional funding, what do you mean? Well, what we've proposed um, historically is that um, FSCS fines used to go to the FSCS. Um, George Osborne, when he was chancellor, gave some of those fines to charity, um, which rather distracted from the fact that the, the other fines go to the Treasury, back to the Exchequer. Our view is that those fines that are not being used for charity, we certainly don't want to take money away from charities, um, should go towards the FSCS bill. Others have argued that actually there was a uh, moral hazard having the FCA paying, uh, raising money for itself. So did they have an incentive to give out more fines if it meant they got a big, bigger budget? But the separation between the FCA and the FSCS means you avoid that moral hazard. And, you know, if people have repeatedly said they want the polluter to pay, this seems to be a really clear way to do that. The people who have stepped over the line and got fined, that fine then goes back into the system and is used to protect customers who have lost out. Perfect, perfect. You know, and the FCA has been playing around with ways to reduce the levy in recent years, just with no publishing no real detail of how to do it. I suppose this 10%, um, not very ambitious 10% kind of goal, which is now not a goal, um, was the only real um, you know, tangible thing they've actually put into words or published how they're going to do it. But then again, there wasn't actually that much detail of you know how they're going to reduce it. I mean, when they talk about stabilising to 2025, what do, you, what do you take from that? What does that mean to you? So there's... Um, two things that drive cost within the FSCS for our sector, right? They, you need a failure. You need a firm to go under. Mm. Otherwise, they'd, they'd compensate themselves. And you need a compensatable event, right? You need um, normally a uh, something where the customer has got compensation because the actual investment, unlike, say, a bank, um, where you could have a scenario where the bank literally can't give you your money back, the investment's normally real, they're, they're there, they are still there, they've just um, not done what they, they're supposed to do mm. in the eyes of the FOS, and so you're providing compensation. So if you then look at the two drivers of cost, one is failure, now we're going to enter a really difficult economic uh, conditions, and in fact when the FSCS reduced their total estimate for the year, from a billion to 850 million, one of the reasons they gave was the extension of government support and the furlough scheme. Mm. They now believe when that support comes to an end, there will be an increase in firm failures. And we have called right from the beginning 
for the FCA to be proactive about managing that, identifying the firms that are at risk and doing everything they can to ensure either they don't fail or they fail in an orderly way and that the government provide appropriate support where an otherwise viable firm that is behaving well um, is failing because of COVID or, or other th things outside of their control. So there is an element of we are going to see higher failures. Mm. Uh, and there is a limit in an economic downturn, which we're probably going to get post-COVID to what we can do about that. So we need to look at the other. We need to look at compensatable events. So that is about the regulator moving faster. LCF, people were aware of um, five years before the regulator um, intervened. We're seeing um, issues on social media that today that are still not being dealt with and, and resolved that will result in, in uh, poor outcomes for consumers and, and quite possibly FSCS cost. Um, and then we need clarity on regulatory expectations. Mm. And the FCA have done some good stuff recently in terms of clarifying their expectations on DB transfers. Um, but that has taken a long time and uh, firms have been left with, with quite a high degree of uncertainty about the regulator's expectations. Um, so the regulator, by cracking down on genuine bad behaviour, being clear about their expectations so firms don't get caught out um, with uh, retrospective decisions um, and analyzing where these problems are to act quicker so for example it's become clear that a major source of cost within the fscs is unregulated products within sips that were sold on an execution only basis in a way that actually the regulator and the fos now believe steps over the line to advice um now we are well we've been well aware of these issues for some time we need to be faster to act upon them and to um, ensure that they're dealt with before significant costs can can be built up within the system um, and that combination of doing the deep analysis of what's driving this acting swiftly and improving supervision on the genuine poor behavior alongside some things that to be fair are not in the F fca's control like making uh the search engines and the social media platforms properly responsible for financial investment scams that that happen uh, on them will bring the fscs back to what it should be which is predominantly about protecting customers in the rare event that a, a legitimate financial services company fails mm. rather than what's becoming a very regular uh, way of compensating customers who have been victims of fraud near fraud or shifting regulatory expectations well it's it's interesting one isn't it i mean every time you know you speak to an advisor or yeah you know, someone someone in advice world in in, in my job Everyone just thinks the FSCS levy is going up because it's you know, poor advice or unsuitable advice. But the way you're talking about it, there's a lot of other factors at play here to why it's increasing so much. Absolutely. It's complex. Um, and that's, you know, when I joined PIMFA about 18 months ago, this was number one uh, priority for our members. And we started looking at this and looking at the, you know, what could be changed in the FSCS itself, what 
um, what one or two things can we do to get costs down? And the reality is it is a symptom of the problems with the wider regulatory and supervisory system mm. um, that means that, uh, in a way, we believe that number should be looked at as, the, as, in effect, a success metric for the FCA. If the FCA is doing its job well, that number should be going down. And, you know, even though I mentioned that it's not all unsuitable advice, the FCA, I spoke to uh, Debbie Gupta after the consumer investments paper came out. Um, and we talked about what well, we were just talking about, you know, what claims have come through, why the levy's gone up. And she mentioned everything that we've mentioned. But going on what she was saying, over, when I asked her about why it will only be stabilised, um, it would take, you know, another four or five years to stabilise it and then go down over a period of the next five was that the FCA, which she alluded to, the FCA is expecting a lot of DB transfer claims to come through over the next few years. Now, um, the FCA has, I think it was in July, asked British Steel Penske members to come forward, like a blanket invite, if you will, to claim against any Mm -hmm. advice they thought was unsuitable. And there's an event in Swansea, uh, I believe, this week about that as well. And I think there's over 400 claims now. And how big an issue is that going to be? And does this play a part in why the FCA said it's, not non-ambitious target because they're expecting a lot more claims to come through um i think i mean they're absolutely expecting claims to come through and the actions they've taken on british steel um are are, are you know make make that quite clear mm. um it is a really really tricky area because there is a real tension here between i think the government policy and the regulatory policy because the government has said with pension freedoms that, you know, you know what's best to do with your pension and you no longer have to buy an annuity, which was a guaranteed income for life, you know. And um, so people who are retiring with their DB pension think, well, I've got the right to do whatever I want with my pension and it's just the same decision in reverse. Um, you know, I'm giving up a guaranteed income from for a cash payment. And then... Uh, are and it's allowed within law and um, the wider message of, of freedom and choice um, matched that and now the regulator has been clear that in effect I think partly putting words in their mouth here unless you're either very sick or very rich you should not be transferring out of a DB pension and they clash they clash as two ways of, of thinking about the issue. And for customers, it's really confusing what they are supposed to do. And um, what it's meaning is that because a lot of those customers want to do this, lots of advisors are being put in incredibly difficult positions where they know the regulation, regulatory expectation and perhaps their own uh, advice is to not do this. And the customer will will still want to go ahead. And that means that I think we have to be much more nuanced in our approach to this. So, yes, there may be and and there are some terrible stories within British Steel of people being being convinced to do things that are very clearly not in their interest with poor quality advice. And I really, you know, we all really feel for those people. However, there will also be some people who had DB transfers who are very happy with their decision 
they may not meet the regulator's view of um, uh, the best outcome, but for them and their personal circumstances, it would be. And so I think we need to just make have a nuanced view that recognises the difficulty and complexity of, of the issue for advisors and aims appropriately at where people have received poor advice um, and that the regulator, which to be fair to them they now have done, is absolutely clear about their expectations on firms. Um, and that will hopefully enable a, a better functioning market for uh, DB transfers. And I think if there are large numbers of claims um, on British Steel, under the current law, many of them will not be eligible for the FSCS. Mm. And there's going to be a temptation to either change the law or, or to try and get as many of those claims into the compensation scheme as possible but i think the government made the right decision on lcf where they created a separate government-run compensation scheme for those that um, were not eligible for fscs compensation and i think it's important they take the same approach with this um, to control it's still going to be a significant cost to the the compensation scheme but it's important that they keep the compensation scheme for um, for providing compensation for the failure of mainstream financial services firms and not as a, a general pool to deal with fraud and bad outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, the government is always the insurer of last resort in these issues. They did that with LCF. They, they should do that again. Well, I think uh, two MPs, Steve Kinnock and... Nick Smith are currently in negotiation, well, not negotiation, they're calling for a redress scheme for British steel steel workers at the moment. But uh, I think the FCA has said that, um, well, similar to the LCF, but I think the FCA has kind of pushed back on that a bit. But, you know, watch this space. Um, we'll see what happens over the next few months or so. Now, earlier on, we talked about you know, the proposed reduction in the FSCS levy and that the FCA would be doing yet another consultation later this year. Uh, PIMFA last week said it wants the FCA to, you know, kind of hold back a bit on the large amount of consultations it's pumping out um, as it's confusing advisors. Can you run me through those concerns and how do you want the regulator to act when it's, you know, consulting or putting out discussion papers? So I think um, I think we were a little bit misrepresented here. Um, so what we did was quite specific. Um, there are two specific issues that we're concerned about. The first is that the FCA, and this is a relatively minor issue, mm. has reduced the amount of time that it uh, makes uh, consultations over. And so there have been some scenarios where, uh, for example, we had a consultation that launched on the 1st of August. We had six weeks. It was 450 pages long. Mm -hmm. Um, over the summer when everyone's on holiday, that is not how you make good policy. Now, it's a relatively minor point, but a, an important So it's process. more about the the lead-up time or the implement, not the implementation time, but the, the, the time in between actually putting out the document and closing the consultation. Yeah, but the really important thing that we were, we were highlighting in our letter to Nikhil is specific to the investment firm's prudential regime. 
So the investment firm's prudential regime is the new prudential regime for MIFID II firms. Um, and it includes um, some stuff on remuneration uh, as well as capital. And some of it comes into effect on the 1st of January this year. We still don't have the final rules. Mm -hmm. We're expecting the final rules in November. And firms will then have six to eight weeks to implement a very large, very complex area of regulation. And so our letter to, to Nikhil was to highlight how unreasonable it is to expect firms to implement these prudential rules at such short notice for no real reason. There's no particular reason it has to be the 1st of January. Mm. Um, we, we, we aren't uh, expecting to be made equivalent with the, the uh, similar EU rules. Um, and so delaying it by six months to a year will have no meaningful impact Certainly no one's trying to get out of the rules. We're quite supportive of the rules. Um, but you have to give firms the time to implement things appropriately, particularly after the last 18 months that firms have had. In general, we're actually supportive of uh, a faster, more decisive regulator for exactly the reasons um, that we set out about keeping the FSCS under control and mm. improving things for consumers. We certainly don't want to give the impression that the um, the regulator should be stepping back from dealing with genuine harm. I think they need to think about um, how they are going to get the best outcomes. And then it really is about this specific uh, area on the prudential rules, which just looks... Um, like it's going to be very difficult to make it work. Well, six to eight weeks is not a very long time. No, no. And there are hundreds of pages of rules. Mm. Um, so this is, it's it's a really substantial and challenging area. And Tim, finally, you know, the FCA scrapped its suitability to review last month to focus on, as we discussed, your DB transfer advice across the market. Yeah. Do you think this was the right move? And should the FCA restart the review you know, this year, next year? So um, I think it was sensible. There's an awful lot going on uh, and they clearly want to target um, where there is the most significant issues. And I think we all want clarity on the regulator's approach to suitability for, for DB. Mm. Um, I think longer term, uh, we think there should be a review, but probably a treasury review looking at whether now we've left the EU, the MIFID advice definition and the suitability requirements are still appropriate. Because what we hear time again from our members when we talk to them about how they might be able to serve people with um, lower amounts of money, they tell us it's the suitability rules getting in the way. So there is an opportunity to have a look at the wider suitability rules, to have a look at the definition of advice. And we're working on that with our, our members. Um, but right now, I think it's probably appropriate to um, to focus on the areas where the, there's the most need for clarity. 